Good morning, church. My name is Regina, and I am one of the pastors here. I want to start off by saying a word of thanks. My family and I have been serving with you now for about four months, and we have felt so immeasurably blessed to be with you. If you've not had a chance to meet them, my husband Jeff and daughter Evie May are often here at the 1045 service. Uh, Jeff is a, con- a superintendent with Denim Blythe Construction Company in town, and Evie May is our spunky three-year-old gal by day and Princess Elsa by night. Each week that goes by, we continue to feel so at home in this place. We cannot wait to continue growing together in community with you, so thank you. Now, before we jump in to our scripture this morning, I think that it's important to know a few things about me because I see the world through a different lens I have come to learn. I grew up in a military family. My father was in the Air Force, and we moved around until just before my sixth grade year. By 11 years old, I had lived in four different countries, moved five times, and had only lived in the United States collectively for about two and a half years. I can remember the exact moment where I recognized just how different my upbringing was. It was a few weeks into my sixth grade year, and my dad had retired, and we had moved to a small town in Alabama for a year before resettling in New Orleans, where my family still lives. I was in homeroom, and the teacher asked us, who has been to Florence? I shot my hand right up in the air and glanced around me, noticing that most of my friends also had their hands raised. The teacher, knowing that I was new to town, said, Regina, you've already been to Florence? And confused, I said, well, yes, I lived in Italy for four years. My teacher chuckled as she said, no, Regina, I mean Florence, Alabama. The class got a good laugh, I felt slightly embarrassed, and my mom assured me that I did not get the short end of the stick in the deal. (laughs) But all of this to say, it was the first moment I realized, you're not super normal. And I have been abundantly grateful for that. It has um, provided me with enriching stories that I've experienced along the way, and truly planted seeds for where God would guide me in ministry. So with the knowledge that your new pastor is a little strange and has experienced some weird things, let's pray before we jump into our scripture. God, we praise you for the gift to gather in this space. Bless each soul among us. Fill us with your presence. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be so acceptable in thy sight. You who are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Our scripture comes from Matthew 25, 35 through 40, and it says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food? Or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it for one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. 
In this series, we've been talking about becoming love, putting on the coat of love like Jesus and seeking to be Jesus in the world around us. We started in our homes and extended to our community. Mark and Jacob have both been poignantly laying out some word math for us, and although I was very terrible in algebra in school, I was actually very good at proofs in geometry, so this has been fun. On week one, Mark said, God is love. Jesus is God with us. Jesus is love with us. We shall be like Jesus. And then Jacob said, God is love. No fear in love. No fear in God. God lives in you. No fear in you. God is love. You can't see God. God lives in us. We can see God in each other. Now, don't go cross-eyed on me. I really only have three things to add. So in this parable, Jesus tells the disciples of the final judgment when Jesus will come again, and he declares the ways in which we should be living and becoming love to the world around us outside of ourselves. And what Jesus cleverly also does here is reference back into a passage in the Old Testament in Isaiah where it says, Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you seek the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Now, when we see these two passages, we can tell how they are similar. They both talk about caring for those who are in need. But what I had never seen before is that both refer to the people being served as family. Matthew says, whatever you did for one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did for me. And then in Isaiah, it says, and not to hide yourself from your own kin. Jesus is claiming all people, regardless of what their life looks like to you or me or anyone else, as a part of God's family. And if we claim to be a part of God's family, then we're a part of a family that excludes no one. And we take care of our families because we're becoming love in our home. And if you'll join me this morning, I would love for us to think of home today as the world. My family lived in Panama in Central America for a time, and while there, my mom became the choir director of an interdenominational church pastored by a Methodist pastor, uh, Mary Jane Lyons. This church was about as interdenominational and diverse as they come. Congregant members gathered together from all across the world. And each Christmas, we had children from a local orphanage who would come to celebrate with us. Santa would come and give each one of the children a few gifts. And like-mindedly, all of the rest of us children of the church would also receive a gift from Santa because, as we know, Santa is Santa. And we would play together. We would open our presents. We would eat, sing, and laugh. We were family Likewise, our community would go into, outside into the community and bring basic necessities to the native Kuna Indian tribe. My mother would take me, and I remember one particular time standing with her, handing out soap and toothbrushes. And I remember asking her why we did this. And she responded by saying, throughout your life, here is where you will find Jesus. We do it because we can.
That stuck to me like the craziest super glue. As I grew up, serving those in need was incredibly important and continues to be incredibly important. But when I was around 21, my lens perspective shifted even further. As I mentioned before, my family settled in New Orleans, and that is where I grew up from 7th through 12th grade. My younger brother was five when we moved there, and so truly that's the only home that he remembers. One week into my sophomore year of college, my mom called me telling me that Hurricane Katrina looked like it was going to be pretty big. We were supposed to baptize my nephew that weekend, and he even had family in town. And while we very much so believe in being submerged in the Holy Spirit, we felt this was just a bit much. We had evacuated for hurricanes several times before, but generally treated them as a great excuse to get away for a vacation with our family. This time was no different until it was. My mom told me they were packing up as much as they could in their van and they needed to know what I wanted from my room um, to pack as well. That statement will always stick with me because it's the moment when you realize that somebody is actually serious. When you talk to a person who talks sarcastically and tells joke after joke and then all of a sudden you realize you're not joking anymore. I don't even remember what I asked my mom to bring. I just always will remember the sound in her voice. I can't be sure of the timeline exactly because the next two years, honestly, felt a blur. But a few weeks later, my dad went back down to New Orleans and found about three-fourths of our roof had come off and our garage had flooded. My brother, older brother, who was a police officer at the time, came to try and help him tarp the roof as Hurricane Rita, another hurricane, began to creep closer in. It was a few months before we were able to return. We lost our home and about half of the things inside. Albeit, our home was still standing, but mold had pretty much ruined most of the insides. And we were luckier than most. We could rebuild find a new home, had great insurance to recollect our belongings, had family to take us in and love us. My family initially evacuated to Jonesboro, Arkansas, where we had friends. And while there, we stayed at a hotel, and I drove over from college on the weekends to be with them. And one afternoon, we heard a knock at our hotel door. And as I opened it, I found women carrying a large basket full of basic necessities. It was stocked to the brim, non-perishable foods, toiletries, toothbrushes, toothpastes, towels. They expressed their condolences. I expressed my thanks and shut the door. The same items my mom and I had handed out to others in Panama had just been handed back to me. As your pastor, I would love to say that I was so touched by their kindness That in that moment, I was so proud of them for loving me like Jesus, but truly in that moment, I was angry. I was not the least of these. Someone else was. My family was not the least of these. Someone else's family was. My friends, this passage is not only something being said to us to invoke action, or for someone else to be on the receiving end of, it is for all of us. Do you remember what Jacob said last week? The coming love is when someone does for you what you cannot do for yourself. 
And to love like Jesus, we have to be willing to do that even when we do not know someone because we are all interconnected as family and image bearers of our great God. Doing things for people that we don't know can sometimes feel fearful though, can't it? Even if we are connected as a family of God, we don't personally know them. As I get older, at least, I can feel much more apprehensive to introduce myself or to sit down with somebody and get to know them. There is fear involved. But love drives out fear, right? If we're honest, I think that the idea of serving the least of these can feel pretty scary. But I think that it's important to talk about the scary factor in order to release it. When talking about feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, caring for the orphan, I've often said that we can feel paralyzed by our passion. We love Jesus and we seek to live like Jesus so much, but we see so much need around us that we're fearful, fearful of what we do not know, fearful of whom we do not know, fearful of not knowing where to start. It can start to feel so overwhelming that we just remain paralyzed. But let's look back at our passage. At the end, it says, whatever you did, you did for me. That me is Jesus. What if we actually began by saying, in my life, I choose to see Jesus on the faces of all those around me? If we knew that Jesus was being subjected to human trafficking, would we rise up to stop it? If we knew that Jesus was sitting alone in a homeless shelter yearning for someone to sit and eat with him, would we go and be with him? If we knew that Jesus was suffering from depression, would we bring him to care night and sit with him while he walked the journey to freedom? And if we knew that Jesus was caught in a cycle of poverty because he couldn't read past the third grade level, would we not go and tutor him each week? When I was just finished with college, I started right into seminary. I had completed two years before taking a brief four-year break to chase after a dream of dancing. I moved to Hollywood, Jesus is patient with me, and danced in a modern ballet company and served more than my fair share of tables and cups of coffee which is an adventurous and fun story for another day. But while in seminary, I was developing a nonprofit with a friend of mine called Fireflies. Our mission was igniting the fire in hearts again through the power of creative arts and sports. We provided soccer balls and baby dolls for a local orphanage in Sierra Leone, sponsored a local men's soccer team with sports equipment, and partnered with a local government hospital providing small toys and baby Tylenol. On my first trip to Sierra Leone, we went to visit and tour the government hospital in town. At the time, medical care had just become free for children five years and younger, and so the hospitals were being flooded with very severe cases of children who were ill and starving. Our team was prepped for this experience, but I'm not quite sure that you can be prepped to see children who are in such a state. We went bed to bed and prayed with the families and gifted them a small toy, which I remember feeling barely scraped the surface on our responsibility as image bearers to these children. 
But as I was standing in an aisle between rows of beds, a nurse grabbed my hand and said, please come with me, there's a baby who's been abandoned over here. I still have no idea why she grabbed my hand, but I truly believe that it was God who grabbed my hand that day. She led me to the bed of a tiny baby named Allie. The moment my eyes locked with hers, I knew the love of a mother. Allie, at four months old, was nearly six pounds and had been abandoned early that day and was very ill. I leaned down beside her. I placed my fingers inside her hands. She may have been sick, but her grip said, I am alive and well. Hospital care in Sierra Leone was free for her, but food was not. So the nurses had been pooling together their money to care for her. I emptied my pockets and said that I would be back the next day with more. When I left, I remember feeling as if I was abandoning my own child. I emailed my family back home to tell them that I thought I had met my baby and asked if I could begin the process to adopt her. As a parent now, I now know that reading those words from their single 24-year-old daughter was possibly quite a shock, (laughs) but they handled it and encouraged me and supported me like champs. I knew we had a long road ahead because she was so ill, but I felt God asking me to move. The next day, I went and spent most of the day in the hospital caring for Allie, I could spend hours describing each detail of my time there, but one of the most memorable was a nurse from Great Britain who looked at me and said, your being here does no good. Why are you even here? She's going to die. Now, I give that nurse a great benefit of the doubt. I cannot imagine what it must be like to have all of this knowledge as a nurse inside your mind and have little to no resources in order to care for the children around you. She is incredibly courageous in my mind. But I looked at her with all my love and I said, she needs a voice. She needs a touch to say, you matter. We all do. Allie passed away shortly after I left the hospital that day. The head of the team told me just before we boarded for home, the longest 15-hour flight that I have ever experienced. And as I landed in the warm hug of my best friend outside the Nashville airport, I felt paralyzed. Of course, paralyzed by grief, but paralyzed by passion. How would I share this story with due diligence? This is still happening right now, not just in Sierra Leone, but in downtown Nashville. God has held my hand as we peeled back layers upon layers of that experience. I did feel the love of a mother for Allie, but it was not because she was supposed to become my child. It was because God was showing me that we must be with people who are suffering. We must remember that we are all family. Allie was my child because she was created in the image of God and she was alone, so I was to be with her. But as I came home, I felt paralyzed, truly, by fear. But fear... Love drives out fear. Love drives out isolation, addiction, hunger. Becoming love, my friends, means we move. It means we do. 
And it's not hard. It's very simple. An author wrote on this passage saying, It should be noted that the duties named here are such duties as everyone can perform. He said not, I was sick and you healed me, or in prison and you set me free, but you visited me and came unto me. A real personal service of Christ is implied, one involving some sacrifice of ease, time, and property. So here's my word math for us. God is love. God lives in you. There is no fear in love. When we love like Jesus, it is for Jesus. God's love must pour out of us, beyond us, because we are all family. At our 10-year anniversary celebration a few weeks ago, we rolled out a vision for the next 10 years within our community. Everyone fed, everyone free, everyone safe, everyone ready. This vision may mean that we encounter moments of fear, but as Jacob said, we must be willing to tackle fear to the ground in the name of the God who created us and said, go and do likewise. My mom was right, this is where we'll find Jesus. It may mean we walk around with a broken heart. Because once we sit with our brothers and sisters who are suffering, we can't unknow those experiences and stories. I carry Allie with me every day, which means I walk around with a broken heart. But I believe that God is depending on us to live like Jesus. His heart was broken too, so we can find comfort in that. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We can rest along the way. No need to feel paralyzed. But then we must move. We have work to do. Our family needs us. In the name of the Father who created us all, Jesus who redeemed us, and the Holy Spirit that is burning with passion inside of us, expectant to pour out of us. Amen.